What's up and happy Mother's Day. We are so excited that you would take time out of your special day today to be able to join in with us and worship with McDonough Christian Church online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Trent. I have the awesome, amazing privilege of being the lead pastor here at MCC, and I'm excited about digging in to God's Word with you today. So what I want to do is invite you to go ahead right now, wherever you're at, and go grab an actual Bible. See, one of the things that I've learned as I've also been uh, live streaming and doing this type of thing is that it's really easy to get uh, even more distracted than we already are. And so I would encourage you, like, go grab an actual Bible. And if you are reading your Bible on a phone, I would encourage you today, uh, we're going to be diving into this passage out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. So if you are looking at it on an app, go to that. If you're pulling it up on a computer, pull that up there. That's what we're going to be doing. I want, to, I want to read you this verse. We've been in this series called Unstoppable, and I want to invite you to go ahead and go to Acts chapter 2, go to verse 41. That's where we're going to start, okay? As you're getting all that ready, as you're getting all that prepared, remember, you can like, comment, share the post. Sharing the post allows it to go out further and faster, and I believe some of the things we're going to talk about today, especially at the end of the message, are going to be key things that I really believe the world needs to hear because we're going to be doing some amazing things as a church, and I don't want you guys to miss out on it. But grab that, go there. Let me give you an idea of what was going on kind of up to this if you're just joining in with us. So what has happened? is Jesus ascended back into heaven and he essentially told his guys, told the people who were his closest followers that he was about to launch this movement and he was going to use them to do it. But it wasn't going to be just them. It was going to be the power of the Holy Spirit, this thing he called the helper that was going to come inside of them so that they could be used by God to start this movement that we're still a part of today called the church. And so this has happened there was this huge fire that just kind of busted out. And there was these fire things that were on top of people's head. And this wind came through. They started speaking in tongues. Peter preached this amazing sermon. And 3,000 people got saved in one day, got baptized in one day. And then we see kind of this summary of what happened next that Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, gives us. And that's where we're going to start in verse 41. Let's read it together. Verse 41. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray, church. Jesus, we thank you for this beautiful representation of what your church is supposed to look like. Father, I pray today that the gap between what your church has been and maybe even currently is will begin to shrink as we see in your word what it looks like with a fresh, untainted, pure outpouring of your Holy Spirit in your people. I pray that we would look more and more like this. I pray that for those who are watching this now, God, you would begin to open their hearts, that they would know that they're, they're, they're hearing these words for a reason, that, that this came across their feed for a purpose, and that you are going to use some of the things that you speak, not I speak, through your word to minister to them, to help them, to make their lives be better because they had an encounter with you.
today. In your name, amen. Okay, so I don't know about you, but man, when I read this uh, and I think about like what life is as, as someone who's a church person, someone who is a part of a body of Christ, I read this and I go, that sounds awesome. There was bread all the time. There was carbs. They were meeting together. It was glad and sincere hearts. They were in the temples together. I'm an extrovert, so like this style of life for me sounds invigorating. And I don't think even if you're one of those introverts, like there's still some things in here you go, yes, I would love that. I would love to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. I, wanna, I just want to study, and I'm, I'm a bookworm. It, regardless of where you're at on this, we read this and we go, man, I wish life was more like this. And I wish that was my experience with church. I wish that was my experience with my relationship with God and with others. But the reality is, oftentimes we are so far apart from what this actually looks like. And to make matters worse, we're in this COVID, the coronavirus pandemic. And so what I did is, I rewrote this verse. And I put it a little bit more in what I would call the uh, NCV, the new COVID version. Now again, what you see here is... What was happening with the church at its first? Now, I want to show you what would actually happen if the church was at its worst. And again, uh, this is the new COVID version, and this is some of the tension that we're living in and feeling in. So I wanted to rewrite this verse and kind of put it in a little bit more modern times to let you see and feel kind of what it's like maybe for us right now. It says the Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally watched a sermon online when they had the time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by the believers. They were scared to meet together. They had almost nothing in common because social distancing became a convenient excuse to remain a recluse. When they sold something, they used the money to buy extra toilet paper and supplies for the DIY projects at home. They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too distracted by the news and Netflix to enjoy one another and give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other. And they felt even more empty and alone than before the crisis started. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were saved. Now, I know you read that, read that or you hear that, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's probably a little bit of, a, uh, of exaggeration. But here's the deal. I, I don't think it's too far of a stretch from where we as the church, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, watch this, I don't think it's too far away from where we could potentially get if we just allow life to happen, and if we just sit back and have this woe is me, my faith is on stall or on pause until I can get back into a really big crowded room with a bunch of people, I think this is what our faith would end up looking like. And so today what I want to talk to you about is really the difference between these two passages that I read you. The difference between what the early church looked like and what our churches could look like if we don't begin to be devoted to God the difference maker is what I just said. The difference maker is our devotion. And we're going to look at this passage today and see how the disciples, the followers of Christ in that day and age, how their devotion, not to doing things, but to Jesus himself, changed everything. So if you got a Bible, again, we're going to, we're going to jump in and, and see what's going on here. Because the reality is, you know that devotion is just one of those things in life that it's kind of easy to see. It's easy to see what people are devoted to. It's been funny in this whole coronavirus season that we're in to begin to see the new things that people are actually devoted to. It's been crazy to be able to see how people are obviously uh, devoted to having clean butts because there is no toilet paper to be found. You've been able to tell that people are so incredibly devoted to their homes because you can go to Home Depot and it lows and it feels you like you're at a nightclub with really bad music. 
because there's so many people there. Think about it from the people side of things. Think about the people in your life who you know are the most devoted. What are some of their attributes? What is, what is that devoted person in your life? What are they like? Most of you should probably be saying mom because I don't know about you, but the most devoted person I know is my wife. And after that, the most devoted person I know is my, is my mom. And for all of us, that's why we're so incredibly thankful because when we think about devotions, when we think about what it means to be devoted, a lot of us, man, we go directly to a mother. If you were to ask the disciples, though, who is the most devoted person you've ever met? The disciples, without a doubt, would say Jesus. Jesus, without a doubt, he's the most devoted person we've ever been around. He, he loved like no one else. He served like no one else. He was sacrificial. He listened better than anyone else. He put up with us. He was more patient than anyone we'd ever seen. The disciples, without a doubt, would say Jesus was the most devoted person that they had ever encountered. But here's the deal. The disciples, man, they were hard to be devoted to. You had guys who were... Um, you know, doing all sorts of silly things. You had guys who were uh, doing power struggles. You had guys who doubted. You had guys who spoke up when they shouldn't. You had guys who betrayed him. You had people like uh, James who was a doubter. You had people like um, James and John, the two brothers. You, you know, you had those guys and, and they're super mama's boy. Peter cut a dude's ear straight off. And I'll make matters even worse. Judas totally betrayed Jesus. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of how bad they were, Jesus never turned his back on them. He never betrayed them. He never let them down. He even said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And on top of that, Jesus is quoted as saying this, and I love this verse. It's been my verse really for this year as I've made this commitment for me to be a better friend to the people in my life. He said this in John chapter 15, verse 13. He said, no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And so for the disciples, in regards to Jesus' devotion, when he said this, you gotta, you gotta imagine, what he was actually saying to them was this. I am about to show you the most pure and the highest magnitude of devotion that you will have ever seen, but it is gonna come to you in a place that you would never have imagined. See, what we see in the life of Jesus and this is why I'm talking about this early on here because we're gonna get into our devotion. But man, if you don't understand the devotion of Jesus before you figure out like your attempts to be devoted to, devoted to him, you're gonna fail. And so what Jesus is saying to them, what he's saying to you right now, what he's saying to us is that if you want to understand the greatest display of devotion, then you look to the crucifixion. That on the cross, Jesus showed us the most devoted thing we could have ever seen for all of eternity and it's through that devotion that we are able to see who Jesus really is and how devoted he really is to us if you're watching this and you're taking notes I think there's something that God would want you to know you can write it down this is why I believe God wants you to know right where you are right now watching this God is devoted to you first and at your worst God is devoted to you first, and he's devoted to you at your worst. And see, guys, we've got to get this idea and this understanding on a soul level of how devoted God is to us before you can ever go, okay, well, I'm just going to strap my laces up, and I'm going to go be devoted to Jesus. Well, good luck. I love what Romans 5.8 says. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. Christ died for fill in the blank of your name while you were still a sinner. And see, the reality is that you've got to understand is that your devotion to Jesus really is not the most important thing. His devotion to you actually is what matters the most. And what I need you to understand here, I made that point on purpose, he loves you at your worst, absolute worst. So think about like that worst thing, that, that, that rock bottom for you, that, that moment where you were strung out, the moment where you were mired in as much shame as you had ever been. Jesus loved you at that worst place. There's amazing testimony that wound up in the comment section on our stream that was happening last week as we were preaching about grace and guilt. If you struggle with guilt, I would encourage you to go back and watch that. But there was a woman, and in the comment section there, she mentioned that she had felt like God had forgiven her of all of her sins, but one. She said that she felt like God couldn't or wouldn't or she wouldn't allow him to forgive her for the sin of abortion. And see, we all have a hard time realizing that God actually loves us at our worst. And I wanted to read to you what she said. It's beautiful, powerful testimony. She said this, carrying around that and refusing to receive God's forgiveness and healing nearly killed me. But praise Jesus, he has healed me and set me free from that bondage. I want to say to you that there is no sin too big for God to forgive. Amen. I wanted, he wanted me to be healed and set free. And he wants that for all of his children. And friend, he wants that for you. Because even at your worst, God's great love for you is on display. It's on display in that God said, you, regardless of your sins, regardless of your mistakes, you are worth dying for. You are worth Jesus to me. So he loves you at your worst, but it's also important to understand that he loves you first. And the only way that we can love God is because he first loved us. And any devotion that we have in our lives to him is a response for the devotion that he first gives to us. See, God is devoted to you before you were ever devoted to him. And his devotion to you doesn't have to do with your devotion to him. And see, there's, there's this power. There's this power in loving first. And some of you who are parents, you may have experienced this. Uh, for me, I, I have my oldest son, and his name's Titus. And Titus is a lot like me. He's super competitive. I, I know I'm an Enneagram 3 uh, achiever, competitor, and I would imagine that that's likely where he is. And so uh, as I'm laying him down to bed at night, we, we go through the Bible, we read some Bible, we pray together, and then like probably happens in your home, as you tuck your kids in the bed and you're getting ready to walk out of the room, I love you. And then from my super competitive child, I love you more, to which I respond with, I love you most. And then there would be this back and forth. And for a few different times, like, I would just kind of do that thing where you're kind of like walking down the hall, and it's like this slow echo, I love you more, I love you more. And then as I'm like walking downstairs to go uh, hang out with my wife, like, I'm just, you love me more. And then finally, I guess he falls asleep. But I, I realized that I actually have a way to beat him. And so uh, a few nights ago, we were going through this and then going through the same old thing. And it's, I love you, I love you more, I love you most, I love you more than most. And then I pulled out my I love you that would actually beat his. 
I said, Titus, I loved you first. And he kind of paused for a second. He goes, you win. And I don't know where you are. I don't know how you feel about God as a father. But I want you to know something. That he loved you first. He loved you before you loved him and you felt like he let you down. He, he loved you first. He loved you while you were still sinner. He loves you where you're at right now. And, and the fact that he loves us first is a powerful thing that we can't get behind. And, and here's the deal. Like when you think about the fact that God loves you first and he loves you at his worst, that is this root foundational place for our devotion to be able to go, I have a God who loved me before he knew any, or b- before I knew anything about me, anybody knew anything about me, he knew everything that was going to come about me, and, and he, he knew all the things, all the mistakes, every uh, time I would say, I hate you, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, every time I'd tell you, hey, God, this is the last time, if you'll just get me out of this mess, I swear to God, I'll go to church, I'll, I'll eat peas, I'll do whatever I got to do to not ever get in trouble like this again, if you'll just get me out of the principal's office, all those things, he's seen them all, and he says, I love you, I love you at your worst, and I loved you first, and that, guys, that's the root from which we can then begin our best attempts to be devoted to God, knowing that our devotion is not dependent on our will, our abilities, but it's on his love and his ruthless, unending devotion to us. And so as we get ready to dive into this story here in Acts, I want you to understand that what we see happening here is God actually changes his address from the temple to the people and I've been praying that as we dive into this that what would begin to happen in our church is that the gap between the early church and the current church would begin to shrink and what we see as our representation of the church would actually not go back to what it looked like two months ago but it would begin to look more and more what it looked like 2,000 years ago and my hope is that you'd begin praying the same things alongside me because I like this better than what we had. And I, I wonder if maybe there's anybody else who does too. If you got a Bible, we're starting Acts 2.41. It says, so those who received his word, his word there is Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's really Jesus' word. Those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The reason I told you to, to read in the ESV today was because the NIV and even the one that I, I read at NIV earlier today by NI, uh, ESV is what's in my notes is because the NIV leaves out that word souls but if you look at it in the Greek that's actually the word that is there and I think what Luke is doing here is intentional he's intentionally making the point that these people who received this salvation, who received this Holy Spirit, they were not just bodies. And in our culture right now, in our lives right now, there's this big misunderstanding and everybody just thinks they're a body. And so we have, we have teenagers cutting their wrists and, and cutting things on their thighs and we have kids who are, who are going crazy because their body doesn't look like what they think it should look like and they're harming themselves because they feel rejected and all this pain. There's moms who sense this mom guilt because after they delivered their baby, this body never went back to what it used to be. And we carry this around. There's fathers who we feel like, hey, we don't match up, we don't measure up, and we all revolve all of who we are around this body. 
But friends, I want to tell you something, and I believe this is what God's word is getting at here. You are not just a body that happens to have a soul. You are a soul that just happens to have a body. And this speaks to our creation. This speaks to the fact that we were created in the image and the nature of God, an eternal being. And I want you to know that that soul that's inside of you, that really is the most real part of you, that that soul was given by God. And that that you, my friend, you are not just a collection of atoms and molecules. You are not just a fish that found its way out of the mud and learned how to walk. You're not just a monkey that learned how to put pants on. You are created in the image of God and you have a real eternal soul, guys, that is going to spend an eternity in heaven or in hell. And when Jesus says here, that their souls were saved. I want you to understand something. Bodies can't be saved. The only thing you could, you can't get a saved body. You can only get a new body, and Jesus promises that will happen in heaven. But a soul can be saved because a soul is something that is eternal, and it has one destination that it is headed to without Jesus, and it has a way through Jesus to be saved and head to where Jesus is because the Bible made it very clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way into heaven, not by good deeds, not by good works, not by creating the smorgasbord of all the other religions and putting them together and just being a good person at the end of your life, the good outweighs the bad and you get to go be with God. No, 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 no. It's Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that our souls can be saved. Go to verse 42. 42, we see what happens as souls are saved, as souls are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayers. Four key things there that they devoted to them, themselves to. And I want you to see that as they devoted these things uh, themselves to these four things, they were not devoting themselves to a bunch of religious things, to a bunch of rituals. What they were devoting themselves to was a relationship with Jesus. I want you to understand, this is critical. They didn't devote themselves to these things so that they could have an encounter with Jesus. They had had an encounter with Jesus and longed to continue to have encounters with Jesus, so they devoted themselves to these things. One is religion and one is a relationship with Jesus. And I hope you're on this side of the coin where you're saying, I'm devoted to Jesus, I'm devoted to Jesus. And because of that, I will be devoted to doing the things that lead to encounters with Jesus. It was more organic than it was organized. It was, a, it was a beautiful display of what could happen when God's people get together. And so when we talk about them devoting themselves to specifically the apostles' teaching, we can go, well, first of all, who are the apostles? The apostles are specifically 12 guys who had spent a good bit of time with Jesus. Uh, there was 11. Uh, Judas died off. They replaced him with a guy named Matthias. But these guys were men who had walked and talked with Jesus, who had sat under Jesus' rabbi teaching to help them know what life was really like. And so I want to show you what Jesus was after. He, he said in his great commission to this group of guys, he said, go in all to, to in all the world and teach them to the obey the commandments that I've taught you. So I want to show you some of these. We're going to walk through them. This, this is what they were obeying. This is what they were teaching. This is what the group of apostles was teaching this group of people. And this is what they were learning how to live out by the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus teach? He taught, forgive, be born again, abide in him, 
Do good works. Avoid sin. Don't worry. Love your enemies. Give to the needy. Pray. Forgive others. Put your treasures in heaven and not on earth. Don't judge. Seek first God. Take care of the poor. Beware of of false prophets. Show mercy to others. And teach and baptize people. These are the things that Jesus taught. And man, how much different would the world look if we actually began to obey these types of things? Like we wouldn't need like Fox News and CNN. It, It would just be good stuff. Because God's people would be living this out, and I believe the world could change if we could, could do this stuff. But here's the deal. You cannot, you cannot do this list, these, all those things, and I hope maybe you go back and you pause and you take some notes or you do you know, screenshot your, your, whatever your phone or thing you're watching on that, because that, that's what Jesus said. We, we need to do that. If, we're gonna be follow, if you're going to be a follower of me, these are the things you do. This is what your life looks like. But here's the deal, and this is what, man, we get so messed up on this sometimes. The Holy Spirit, do you know what Jesus called the Holy Spirit? He called the Holy Spirit the helper, the helper, the helper. See, Jesus, in identifying the Holy Spirit to his disciples and to me and you, he said, it's a helper. Because here's the good thing, guys. He knows us, and he knows we are going to need help. That there is no way that this list can be my life or your life without the help of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be written down on our page is the same Holy Spirit that if you're a believer in Christ, that Spirit is in you. If you're not, that Spirit is available to you. You can't deny, even if you're not a follower of Christ, that you couldn't run your finger over the list of those things we just listed and not go, yeah, that would be a pretty good life to live the world would be a better place if people live like this but here's the deal guys it's not just hearing the truth it's doing the truth man there's been a lot of times in my life where these words in the book of james on jesus's brothers again if if uh you're, you're watching this and you're like man how do i know that jesus really was god and that he really rose from the grave i would ask you the question you know, what would your brother have to do to prove to you that he was God? Like, you got a brother out there. What would he have to do to prove to you that he was God? Most of you would probably say, like, he'd have to die and raise from the grave to prove to me that he was God. Well, James is here saying, my brother is God. And so for me, that's one of the things where I go, okay, James believed Jesus was God, and he was his brother. He grew up with him. I know it would take my sister a whole lot to believe I was God because she saw a lot of ungodly things. But James, brother of Jesus, he said this. He said, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. So when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they weren't just devoted to the apostles' teaching for the sake of gaining this head knowledge for being the most puffed up person in the room who said, oh, I know all the apostles' teaching and I can exegete and I can know the Greek and I can know all these other types of things. He said, no, no, no. You show that you know it when you do it. And that's the point that was after here. The next thing that we see that they were devoted to was the fellowship. Now, we, re, we hear fellowship. Man, you grew up in a church, probably had a fellowship hall where you go down and you eat, you know, garlic bread and Texas toast and uh, what is that, Mama Schubert, Sister Schubert's rolls and all those types of things and kind of stale lasagna on the outside. But, but here's what fellowship really is. Fellowship is this Greek word. You can write it down. There's going to be a slide there. Fellowship is this Greek word that means koinonia. And it's a deeper thing than potlucks. What it really is after is the Christ that is in me ministering to the Christ that is in you and vice versa. It's the rally that Jesus is in me 
and he's in you. And we get together. This is why life is better together. Because he's in you and he's in me. And when we get together, that ministry can cross-pollinate. And we can actually experience what does it truly mean to be the body of Christ. See, the Holy Spirit came into this group of people, the 120, then the 3,000. And again, I've said this all throughout this uh, series that we've been in. The spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. And this was true because it went from one Jesus to Jesus within 3,000 and 120 people in this given moment. And what was happening here is you were seeing the kingdom of God falling and the things that happen in the kingdom of God happening there in Jerusalem. Which I would just say to you, that's the whole point of this whole following Jesus thing. Like some people have probably told you that being a Christian is about um, what's down here getting up there. But the real point of Christianity is what's up there getting down here in and through our lives. And so the world, as they're seeing this happen, as they're seeing these people do these things, you got to understand that the world that they lived in at that moment, time has passed, the sermon is over, and then these people go actually living out and applying the sermon. Novel idea. They go out and they start applying this. And that's what this fellowship means is they are giving, they're sharing, they're taking, they're sacrificing greatly. And it was something that, guys, the world had never seen anything like this before. See, the, the, the society that they lived in was one that was full of hate. It was full of elitism. It was full of sexism and racism and segregation and political and religious oppression. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad that our society has evolved from 2,000 years ago. And those things are things that we no longer struggle with. False. They are what we struggle with right now. They're what we're struggling with day in and day out. And you see them and I see them. But what I believe was happening in that moment is the same thing that, that I'm praying happens in this moment is they saw this fresh move of something that was totally different begin to happen by the Holy Spirit and it created this community for those people who were looking on was like nothing they had ever seen. And my hope is that for you, we, under the power of the Holy Spirit, will begin to see something like our community has never seen. Because they were devoted to the apostles teaching but they are also devoted to one another and one of the things you got to know about them being devoted to one another is them being devoted to one another was actually really complicated because their devotion to one another was during this pentecost festival where people thousands of people from different tribes tongues nations nationalities backgrounds preferences they had all gathered together in this one place and wouldn't it be just like god to go you know when i'm going to pour out my holy spirit i'm going to pour out my holy spirit when all these people are together that is actually the perfect time for me to pour out my holy spirit when all the nations are together because he's saying i'm a god that has a heart for the nations See, what we see here in God waiting for this moment to pour this out and them having all these things together and being devoted to each other despite the togetherness of them being this really complicated mess because everybody is so diverse and so different is God proving his point that his favorite race is the human race. I'll say that again. God's favorite race is the human race. So any ideology that says that one race is better than another race is actually from the pit of hell. And what's beautiful about what we see on display 
in the early church is they proved to the world that they lived in that we have a love from our God that is capable of breaking down barriers, that is capable of breaking down religious barriers, political barriers, ethnic barriers, gender barriers. And guys, that same spirit is inside of us. And my prayer is that we be more open to that than we ever have before. And we begin to see that come out. Because here's the deal. Man, people can argue with your theology up and down. But what people cannot argue with is our love. Jesus made it very clear. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. And my hope is that you understand that this love is something that's best experienced together. And one of the things that's made it really hard in this whole coronavirus thing is you haven't been able to come in and experience this togetherness in this fellowship in a room like the one I'm talking to right now. And, and, and social distancing has been what has been happening. And we've been doing our best to stay together while having to be apart. And while I think social distancing is a good practice, I think it's a terrible choice of words, honestly. Because we really just need physical distancing. Honestly, I don't know about you, but from where I sit, man, I need social connectedness, not distancing, more than I ever have right now. Because I feel like I'm so separated from people. And that's why for those of you, man, if you are, if you are not a part of a community group right now, you are experiencing, you have had the rug of joining the crowd and not being connected in a group pulled out from under you because of this. And you probably are more lonely now than you were before this happened. Friend, I'd encourage you, even in the comments, man, if you want a group, find a group. There's no shame in this. Say, hey, I'm not in a group. I want to find a way in a group. A lot of our, almost every single one of our groups right now is meeting via Zoom, meeting virtually. You know, they're doing phone calls. They're doing Skype. They're doing all these different things. And, and I know you need that connection right now. And my prayer is that you would take a step. Even if you're not in our McDonald community, you're watching this, you're somewhere we're far away. Man, like the internet will get to your house. I don't care if you're in this city or that city. We'll get to you. And we'll get you connected because that's what we can do. And my hope is that you would see God move in that way. The next way we see them being devoted to is, is they were devoted to breaking bread. And what you got to know here is like, so these 3,000 people from all these different places, they, they come in and it's such an awesome time. It's like the party that no one wants to end. And so all these people who think Christianity is boring and that like it's just something I, want, I go to and I experience for a little while and then I want to leave, like that's, that's my, been my church experiences. No, 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 no. When you really experience church, it's something you don't want to go home from. And so all these people, they're in their Jerusalem and there's no Airbnbs, le- Airbnbs left, there's no hotels left. You know, people are cleaning out their, their purses and their pantries and they're doing everything they can to, to keep this community going. So they're selling things. They're eating in homes. They're breaking bread together. And what I love about this is the Lord's Supper which revolved around Jesus, this meal that he said, every time you eat together, remember me. That was at the center of it. We're gonna celebrate communion in a while, and I want you to remember, man, that's at the center of what we do when we meet together, whether it's online or whether that's in person. Last thing we see that they were devoted to is they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And I want you to understand something about prayer. Every relationship is contingent on uh, communication. Like, you cannot have a good marriage without communication. You can't be a good employee without communicating with your boss. You can't be a good manager without Im- communicating with your employees. You can't be a good pastor without communicating uh, with parishioners. You, you cannot be good at a relationship without com- connecting and having communication in that relationship. And so with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, we have got to be connected in prayer. 
And it doesn't have to be hard. One of the things that's beautiful about the Holy Spirit, maybe you didn't realize this, but the Bible actually says that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we pray. So what that means is like, you can be you know, together or, or by yourself and you start praying and you pray something really stupid. What the Holy Spirit's doing is going on the other side of things, going, yeah, Jesus, like what she meant to say was fill in the blank. And what's cool about this is, you know, maybe you've ever taken your kids bowling and, you know, they put up the bumpers. Like your prayers have bumpers. Like God said, I'm going to put bumpers up. Like you just roll the prayer out here. We'll make sure it gets where it needs to. If people hear it, God's a father in heaven who's going, I loved you first. I loved you at your worst. I just want to hear from you. And so they were devoted to prayer. And because they were devoted to prayer, we as a church are going to uh, have a cool thing that we're going to be able to do here on May 13th. That's going to be an open air prayer gathering. Because we, we, we as God's church want to be devoted to prayer. And there's, man, there's never been more of a pertinent time for us to gather together in prayer than right now. So we're going to do that. May 13th, 7 to 8, hopefully it'll be a cool, nice evening. We're going to gather together out in the field at MCC, kind of over on that whole corner lot. We'll obviously practice social distancing. We're going to be way spread out. We may walk around the building. We may do some different things. But it's just going to be a time where we gather together, spread out, and pray. And my hope is that you would put that on your calendars and that you would be there. As we go on in the verse and kind of wrap up things here, in verse 43, it says, Because they were devoted to these things, verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The word there for awe is actually translated also as the word, same word for fear. And what's happening here is they are experiencing a thing that is happening amongst them that they know is not of this world. That it is only by God's will and God's way that that's happening. And so they're a little bit terrified of it, but they're still going, this is awesome because we're on the right side of something incredibly powerful. And then in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, it says, And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. I want to key in on verse 45 for you because I have a really exciting thing that I want to announce to you. I want to celebrate a little bit. I want to announce to you something that I'm going to encourage you and invite you into this day. So in verse 45, it says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And as I read through and prayed through that this week, uh, God laid some things on my heart that I felt like he'd already been pressing. Um, I'm going to be as open as, uh, and transparent with you. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are watching this who are probably not of our, a part of our faith community as a church, but really at the end of the day, um, if there's anything that a church should be incredibly transparent on, it's their finances. If you're part of a church right now that's not transparent with all of their finances, you can't ask a question and get an answer to anything. Like that may not be um, the best thing for you. You may want to really think and pray through that because if there's ever a place where we should be open and honest with what people are giving to, it should be the local church should be the most trustworthy place to give any amount of money to because it's funding the mission and the move of God. For us as a church, our weekly budgeted uh, amount that we need to come in through tithes and offerings is, is just over 25000 And for the month of April, we went above and way beyond what we had budgeted for the month of April. So much so that for the weeks that are in April, we were over enough to have a whole nother week's worth of offering. And so because essentially the offering for this week has pretty much already been taken care of by how amazingly generous, generous you've been, 
here's what we're going to do. We're going to take every bit of the offering that comes in this Sunday and throughout this week, and we're going to put that offering directly into serving and relieving the needs that happen because of coronavirus here in our local community. We're calling it the Acts 245 Corona Relief Offering. And I want to invite you to be a part of this because everything that comes in today, everything that comes in today and throughout this week, we're going to take and we're going to go and meet the needs that we can in our community. Now you're going, hey, what what needs are you going to meet? Well, I have no idea because I don't know how you're going to respond yet. I don't know how my family's going to respond. Jessica and I are going to go pray about this and think through this. But man, we're going to respond because this is what I know about MCC. You are a generous church. You're a loving church. And you've been over and beyond that already. And I believe that God is going to come through again as we practice that generosity and say, not a penny of this will go to a staff person's salary. Not a penny of this will go to keep a light on, a camera running. Not a penny of this will go to pay utility bills at our church. Every single bit of this will go into our local community. And I look forward to next week standing up here and telling you what that number is. And helping you get an idea of what it's going to look like and how maybe you can even get involved and how we can take what we have received as you have blessed the people of our community and what it's going to look like to go out and let them receive that blessing. The verse ends in verse 46 and 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Listen to the emotions there. Glad and generous hearts. They were praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is my hope and my prayer for us as a church. What we see here is this. Because they had the habit of being the church, God had the habit of building the church. My prayer is that he would be doing that here in our community, not just building the church as in building MCC and we have more viewers or more people when we open up. That doesn't matter. It's about building believers in this city. And we want to use and we want to risk. We want to do things that may be a little bit crazy because at the end of the day, love requires risk. It's my prayer that you would join in us, join in with us to risk, to love, to reach, to be a church that says, like we talked about a few weeks ago. We are McDonough's Christian church. Like we exist for them. They don't exist to just come in here. We exist to go out there. And our hope is that through this Acts 245 offering, we'd be able to do just that. I'm gonna invite you now to go grab whatever it is that you would be um, participating in communion with as I do the same. You know, this verse is is riddled with references to communion and how God's people met together with gladness in their hearts. They broke bread. They they met in these homes. I want you to understand here that the thing that bound them together was the blood of Christ. You know, when I get ready to go to heaven, I think there's going to be a lot of family members who I look forward to to getting to and being with in heaven. But more so than that, I think I'm going to realize that everybody else who is there is family. And I honestly think that that 
is going to trump the desire that I may have to see a dad, to see a grandpa, to see a great-grandpa, to see a mom, to see whoever may be there by the time that I get there. And it's not because other relationships are more important than any other relationships. It's because the power of Jesus' blood and the fact that his blood makes us family is going to be the main thing. And so I pray that as you're maybe gathering together watching this, whether you're with family, maybe you're not with family, wherever you're at, you know that this blood has made you a part of a family. And you're never alone. Because this body, it was broken for you. Nailed to a cross. Whipped, beaten. So that your sins could be forgiven. blood it was poured out the sins of all mankind let's taste and see the Lord is good Jesus we thank you for your broken body and your poured out blood for all the times where we have not been devoted to your things, to you. We ask now that you would forgive us. We ask that you would allow your Holy Spirit to fill us in such a way that, that we look like this church we read about today. That we kiss goodbye what church used to look like two months ago. And we do what we can through the inspiration and leading of your Holy Spirit to become a church that looks more like the one we read about today. In your name, amen. Again, reminder, for those of you who are giving today, everything that we will give today will go directly into our local community. My, pray that, that my prayer is that God has a heart that is on display through our church and the way we go above and beyond to generously bless the people who are in need in our city. I love you church. Can't wait to be back. Can't wait to be back with you soon. Amen.